Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 163. The Fun Ideas Podcast is brought to you in part by Lee's Comics. Friends, have you tried Lee's Comics? Lee's Comics is better than the leading comic book store. Wait a minute. Lee's Comics is the leading comic book store. Based on arbitrary standards set by Lee Hester himself. Lee's Comics was named as one of the 21 best online dealers by popoptique.com. To shop the Lee's Comics eBay store, go to eBay and search for Lee's Comics, Inc. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S-I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast when you order, and you'll receive a free bonus gift. You remember them from your childhood. Half for the Friendly Ghost, Richie Ridge, Hot Stuff, Baby Huey, Sad Sack and Lil Audrey. You read them in comic books and saw them on television and in the movies. Now you can read about how they and other Harvey comic characters were created in two great books from Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. The Best of Harveyville Fun Times and the Harvey Comic Companion. Both are available from Amazon. The Companion is also available from Fair Manor Media. They are available in hardcover, paperback, and ebook version. Order your copies today. Long title, Looking for the Good Times, Examining the Monkey Song One by One, by Michael Aventrella and Mark Arnold. A book that examines each song, gives lots of details about each song, and our own personal opinions. You can find this book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles, and anywhere where good books are being sold. Our webpage is wordpress.monkeys.com, where you can see many of the songs and give your own opinions of them. And we will be discussing this more on Zilch. Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Alvin and the Chipmunks are here again. In 1958, a down songwriter with an unlikely name of Ross Bagdasarian plunged the last of his family savings on a multi-speed tape recorded and created The Witch Doctor and Alvin and the Chipmunks. It changed the fortune for his family, his record label, and animated cartoon studio. Alvin! The story of Ross Bagdasarian, Liberty Records, Format Film, and The Alvin Show by Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions is available from Amazon and Fair Manor Media in hardcover, paperback, and ebook versions. Order your copy today. You can now order my latest book, The TTV Scrapbook, from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or Bear Manor Media. If you'd like signed copies of this or any of my books, please email me at funideas.mark at gmail.com for further information on how to order directly from me via PayPal. I now have three super articles to write for Back Issue. Super Richie, Super Dagwood, and Super Fan. My Pac-Man book is the next to be coming out, and I'm still working on my Mad and Turtles books. 
Warren Kremer is due out eventually, as is my next Disney book. On today's show, we have a musician who is a longtime drummer for the Turtles and for the Doors, Ray Manzarek. Here he is, Jimmy Hunter. Hi. <laughs> Hi, this is Mark Arnold with another Fun Ideas podcast. And on today's show, we have a drummer who drummed with Flo and Eddie of the Turtles. There they are. Um, and his name is Jimmy Hunter. How are you, sir? I'm doing magnificently well down here in Los Angeles. How are you, my man? I'm very good. I'm up here in Springfield, Oregon, in the middle yeah. of the state. Nice. Um, but I used to live in L.A. a little bit when I was a kid, and uh, but I'm mainly a Northern California boy, so that's, that's where I love I'm. the Zoom thing. It's just great. Yeah. So um, usually I start off a lot of these interviews. Just kind of tell me a little bit about yourself, and in your case, how you got involved in drumming and possibly how you got involved with Flo and Eddie. Okay, okay. <laughs> Well, be a long I, answer. <laughs> I'm, I'm Virginia born, so I've, I have a bit of a Southern gentleman, but I've got a rowdy side because I moved to Detroit area when I was 10, actually Flint, and then back down to Detroit when I was 13. So uh, uh, I started playing the drums uh, to ventilate the anger from my parents' divorce, <laughs> to be honest with you. Wow. And, and, and I really uh, loved my junior high school band director, Art Dries. He, he was like my new father figure, and I wanted to play just like him, and he played drums, and he kind of growled when he played. So I really liked, <laughs> I really liked, uh, I liked him, and I, I, he was his first year of teaching. It's like Mr. Holland's Opus, you know that movie? Oh, yeah. 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 Like they have it over it there. Just like that. <laughs> <laughs> I still have so much love for him and and, uh, and so much uh, lesson from him. And he taught me about, he even gave me string bass lessons and I played the tuba, but I wanted to be a drummer like him. And my folks got me a little set of Slingerland drums and, and we had a little Tijuana brass band and, and went, went on through high school. I still played the tuba in the band, but I played the drums in outside bands. And I had a little group called the Manchesters. 1964 and we you know we did all the same kind of songs that the crossfires did probably louie louie my baby does the heck you know all that stuff and a little paul revere and the raiders and then the motown thing because we're from detroit we had to do some motown and mm -hmm. i can remember getting into the vanilla fudge and we did set me free why don't you babe and all that stuff and get got into high school and had the talent shows and uh then i went to college for a couple years and uh all the while being in different bands, I was in a really nice seven piece, uh, nine piece horn band with uh, Mitch Ryder's brother called Justice Colt. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was a really cool horn band around the blood, sweat and tears time and the yeah. Chicago time. So that's probably about 1970. And then I did some gigs around and finally hooked up with this piano player named Tom Powers, who got signed by Clive Davis later as a singer songwriter. He just passed away a couple of years ago. Fantastic. Sang like James Taylor, played piano like Elton John, mm -hmm. Billy Joel and Ahmad Jamal all wrapped into one guy. Really great keyboard. Wow. So we had a good band uh, and uh, that that went for a few years. And uh, then I joined a harder rock band, which was very vocal centric. So that was called Moonstone. And uh, that was like around 73. And uh, that went for a few years. And I'm starting to become a, a bar star, you know, like in the rock bars. You know? So, so uh, uh, all the while and in 74, I started another band with Danny Schaefer, who eventually became guitar player with Shania Twain. 
And we were also vocal centric and we started playing in these listening rooms. Tom Powers got me going in the listening rooms. We didn't have to play for a dance floor. The, the people would come to watch us play. It was like a little concert lounge. So this was what I did in the early 70s. And then um, along the way, I joined another band called Sticks and Stoned. And I replaced a drummer. He went with Jose Feliciano and I got his gig. And that was a really good gig. It was the best gig in town, Detroit. Real highest paying job. They only had to work four nights a week. Good, good pay. And I play a little jazz on Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday, and play with Sticks and Stone on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday because I'm a very dedicated drummer and I'm nuts and hyper and too intense, you know, <laughs> like a drummer would be. So uh, then, along about October of '75, I got a phone call from Paul Warren. Paul Warren, I don't know if you know who he is. He played on Papa Was a Rolling Stone when he was. 15 and he played with rod stewart most recently mm -hmm. uh the tina turner tour of what's love got to do with it's richard marx joe cocker mm -hmm. well this is way before all that so this is 75 and we had been in a band called free beer before that we put that on the marquee we'd always pack the place <laughs> so that was our band in detroit and, and and he moved out to go with ray because of his uh playing on that temptations hit he went out to play with rare earth out in la and then when that dissolved, and he went a little bit, of, he did a little bit of Pacific Gas and Electric. And then he called me and says, "Hey, I'm doing a thing with Ray Manzarek the Doors. We need a kill drummer, man. And you're the guy, Jimmy. You got to do this." And he knew how secure I was because the Sticks and Stone gig. I'm not going to probably get a better job in Detroit. It's the creme de la creme job. And uh, but I wanted to go farther. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go to L.A. So I gave up my weekly salary and went to L.A. for. A, puny little retainer but a chance for the big time and so i moved you know from the bars to the, the limousine scene and and with ray manzarek and we had a wonderful like a, almost like a led zeppelin super group uh it, it, with ray on keyboards and paul on guitar uh nigel harrison from blondie on bass mm. and uh and an unknown singer named noah james who has had a very mystical quality not unlike jim morrison but he, I got to say, he seemed to have quite a bit of problem living up to the legend of Jim Morrison when he <laughs> going out on the road. We got signed to 20th Century Records and then later po Phonogram or Polyphonogram, I think. We did a couple albums uh, <laughs> and, the, and then the Night City record sold 80,000. So we didn't do that great, but we, we got the tour and, and fly around with Ray. We did end up playing in uh, Coconut Grove for 50,000 people once. All you could see was flesh for as far as you could see. So it was quite a nice experience and memory. And my dad uh, was the guy that came out in, in his Winston tastes good like a cigarette should pants. And, and he's got a striped t-shirt and a devil around his neck and some Elvis shades. He says, here they are. My, my dad introduced us in front of 50,000 people. So that's a wow, good memory. <laughs> Those are the, you know, when, you, when your family has a little something to do with your, your best moments of your career, it's, it, it never leaves you, you know? Good memories, yeah. I remember <laughs> with Night City, we played a big place, our, our uh, arena, Cobo Hall. My grandmother was in the nosebleed seats. And there was this song called The Midnight Party. And, it, you know, the drummer has a lot to do with what's going to happen in certain situations. And this particular song had a little, what they call a formata. Everything stops for a second. Mm. In music, that's an upside down comma with a period on it, a formata. Right. And so nothing can start till I go, bop, 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 bop. nothing's going to start till I go like that. 
And I just had a wild idea. I just pulled down my mic and I said, hi, nanny. <laughs> I just had to do it. So, so those are, are, are some of my memories that, that I remember. Uh, and uh, uh, it wasn't long after Night City uh, broke up that we had these two great roadies and they became Flo and Eddie's roadies, ah. Chuck Chirella and Bob Brown. Do you, do you have those in your archives? Somewhere. Yeah. Those names yeah. sound familiar. Yes. They were awesome. Yeah. The best roadies. And they were our roadies. They weren't Flo and Eddie's roadies. They, we had them. Then we became looking for a new gig and they found a gig before we did. And the next thing I know, <laughs> uh, one of Chuck is calling me up and says, Hey, Flo and Eddie's doing the 77 tour. We got to leave in two days. Can you get down here and try out real quick? She really don't have to try out. Just come in and start practicing with these guys. So I went down and I learned the whole Flo and Eddie show in two days. Mm-hmm. And uh, Mick Mashbeer was on the guitar. Uh, Bob Dolan was on keyboards. The famous uh, turtle of all time, Andy Kahn, was on keys as well. The MD. Mm-hmm. And uh, Eric Scott, who passed away last year or a year before. Great bass player. And uh, that was pretty much the band. You know, Mark did a little guitar, and when uh, we did the Mud Shark for uh, a few months, you know. <laughs> and uh, I can remember uh, fondly the b- bottom line, playing the bottom line with them, and also Morristown, New Jersey, was a was a fond memory mm. because I had some girlfriends in that town. And those guys were very impressed that I knew girls that, that I could bring to the gig. And they were just very impressed with that. <laughs> they were impressed with my girls. So uh, I don't know. Now, did you play? I, I know Flo and Eddie later on had a, a West Coast band and an East Coast band. Did you play in both versions of the band if you're talking about East Coast gigs? Or? I, I'm the West Coast guy. And okay. I'll, and I only did one recording with them, and it's on an album. It's on the Bomp record. You know the Bomp record? I'm not sure. Which There's one's that one? one? I've got it back here in a box, but I have to go dig it up. We're not going to do that tonight. So you'll have no. to look up. There's a one on the Bomp label. It's a com- compilation of some sort of outtakes maybe like you know like like the beatles make those outtake records and, oh, okay and we went into the studio and recorded the uh louis louis mm. and i tried my best to give it the kingsman spirit you know all the cliches i could pull out and right. did a nice version of louis louis and that's on that album so i'm so proud to be on a recording with them so mm-hmm. a little bit of rock and roll history louis mm. louis so how many years did you spend with them then? Um, 77 tour. That's my. That oh, my, that's it. Okay. And I, the gig, the guy that left. <clears throat> well, first of all, I'll say I loved the, one of the original drummers. Ainsley Dunbar was my number one mm-hmm. white boy drummer. I loved him <laughs> a lot, you know, and, yeah. and, uh, cause I like, I like my funky stuff too, but I really loved Ainsley. I loved his foot. I copied it. The, uh, the other drummer that I copied as much as or more than Ainsley would be the drummer from White Trash, uh, Bobby Ramirez, that passed away. He got killed in a Chicago uh, bar brawl. You, you know about the, that drummer? I didn't know that. Bobby didn't. Ramirez. Yeah, it was a really sad day for me. So, so those two drummers were my main guys for, for kick-ass drumming. You know, mm-hmm. They had great foot, fancy stuff between their hands and their feet. And I copied as much of that stuff as I possibly could and used it to my advantage and personalized it, put my own thing on it. So that became 
I got a style from copying a couple of guys that I just thought were just off the chain. So <laughs> between those two, I, I and whatever was coming out from underneath my own childhood pain and misery, <laughs> it, it became what was propelling me. And uh, uh, then uh, so Ainsley had the gig way before me and then a, a guy named johnny bredo had we discussed him before his name was johnny bredo when we talked briefly on the phone yes you mentioned him. detroit guy and i was in detroit time i was think i was washing my car and i'm listening to the radio and and flo and eddie were doing a radio interview out in california i'm in detroit and here comes john they're talking about johnny bredo so i looked up johnny bredo uh, because i i really i coveted his gig and i'll be damned if i didn't get it when chuck and bub took over the roadie gig and and how that happened was uh the his, historic drumming drumming history was uh johnny and i don't know who was before oh yeah before me was craig cram yeah mm-hmm. all right craig great blonde headed drummer that moved to nashville now mm-hmm. uh and he didn't have anything to do with me getting this gig but he had to do with me getting more gigs after when he heard i was the guy that replaced him in Flo and eddie Huh. So, so what happened? Chuck and Bub got me in. I did the 77 tour and then long that kind of petered out, you know, for uh, Mark and Howard. But by the end of the summer, I think it was pretty much we weren't working, didn't have any jobs. So the the uh, I got a call from uh, from uh, Nick, Nick Gilder. Oh, yeah. yeah. Craig, Craig went with Nick Gilder and then he got me that gig by recommending me to try out for that gig. Because he went with Kim Carnes, Betty Davis eyes. Mm-hmm. So that that took me into 78 and all the way through 1980. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, in 1980, I, uh, I had a lot of other bands in between all these things. But, but mm-hmm. most notably, I got in Steppenwolf for a minute. They were way too drugged out. I couldn't handle that. Oh. <laughs> I didn't do but a few gigs with them. I just didn't like the vibe. And uh, then I got in with, uh, believe it or not, I was... We were we had a rhythm section and some and one of the guys in the band said, hey, the producer Jacques Morali of the village people is looking for a rhythm section to write some tunes for this guy, uh, Fergie Fredrickson, who eventually ended up being the singer in Toto. Wow. <laughs> they need they need he. Yeah, he 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 he, he passed away. Uh, he he, um, he needed a backup band to help write songs that he could compose. And with Can't Stop the Music, the movie, and uh, his name was Fergie Fredrickson, but he had a different name, and, and it's just his stage name is escaping me at the moment. Man, why can't I remember? I'll look it up in a minute. Okay. Uh, <laughs> his real name is Fergie Fredrickson, so Fergie, and that he used that name when he got to be in Toto, so that's who I'm talking about. Okay, okay. And so we, we did the album and then that came out and then the producer liked working with us so much that he took us to New York City. He says, I am going in French. I'm going to produce share. You will come with me to New York. You will all live with me. And and I'm I'm going, OK, well, how much we're we getting? And he goes, well, I'm going to give you one a week. And I, and I go, uh, well, you know, that's not quite as much as we need to leave town because I have known what's happens when you leave town and then you come home. Let me turn off my mail so that I don't do that anymore. That's okay. You come home and you leave town there. Nobody calls you anymore because they thought they thought you left. So, so I said we're going to have to have at least six hundred dollars more a week than what you're offering. And so he said he said okay. So he takes us up to New York and puts us in the Iroquois Hotel on Forty Fourth Street. Fantastic rock and roll hotel. Uh, the uh, 
they got a gorf machine down there we put a million quarters in and everybody in the world was staying there the clash joe jackson uh, all the all the rock boot that were kind of more punky than our group but but uh, <laughs> they, we, they put us in they had little kitchenettes and it was fantastic here i'll give you the the lineup on on guitar mark christian mark meyerhofer have you ever heard of him mark christian I've heard of Mark Christian. He's, yeah. in, he's on yeah. band now, Merle Jagger. So, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're play, they they come up and down the coast and play around. It's a country, chicken-picking, kind of crazy, <laughs> avant-garde kind of country, wild, arty band, trio. And uh, Mark was on guitar. Uh, the bass player, you, you will know, her, his name was Howie Epstein, who passed oh. away, who eventually got the gig with Tom Petty. Hmm. So that was uh, the core of the rhythm section. And uh, Dan Schmidt was on keyboards from the Oingo Boingo band. And then Fergie was the singer. So our job after making Fergie's album was to compose songs for Cher. So we went to New York City. We got our little kitchenette rooms in the Iroquois. And we're going to SIR to rehearse. And on our breaks, I'm, I'm shooting pool with the Rolling Stones, man. I mean, like, this is a great experience to leave town i'm i'm in uh, new york city for a whole whole summer and i got that experience and work with Cher, who was absolutely divine to work and somehow some way she liked the song that i brought to the party we were all bringing ideas for songs and my song was her favorite one and it was lucky for me because one weekend they came back and jacques said i will no longer produce Cher. we have broken our engagement he took her to Fire Island for the weekend, got in an <laughs> argument with her over some sort of creative differences or whatever. And we were having great rehearsals because she's like a really pro. Probably Cher and Flo and Eddie were the two top people to ever rehearse with that I ever rehearsed. Very, very professional. <laughs> you, they, made, they made your errors feel like fun. They made their errors feel like fun. They just made the thing a, a party and it was just fun. And everybody <laughs> tried hard because they treated you so nice. Mm -hmm. So I want to say that about Mark and Howard while we're, we're primarily discussing them. So, so that, uh, so, so, so we ended up bringing in an unknown singer, but remember, Cher liked my song. <laughs> this is 1980. In 83, she took my song and recorded it on the I Paralyze album. And then it ended up just a couple years ago on the very best of Cher. So oh, yeah, now yeah. I got myself a double platinum record back there on the wall. Got it. So okay. So that's how the, that's the bad story. Ironically, I just bought the very best of share recently. What was that? I just bought that collection recently. I, I had I didn't own it, and I said, "Hey, this one has a little of everything of since Sunny and Share and everything." And I said, "I'll buy this one." So yes, right. I, I was familiar with the track because it's on there. <laughs> well, you helped it go double platinum. Though. All right, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Yeah. But, but yeah. think about it. 42 years. That's a long time to wait for something for an accolade like that. Right. Well, but the original album didn't do that well at the time, if I remember correctly. I mean, Cher's had this odd career where she'll do really well and then flop for a while and then she'll do really well again and then flop for a while. And, you and know, I think that yeah. was the formula for why she wanted to go with the village people thing. She probably yeah. knew she had a huge gay following and yeah. he was he had the, the hugest gay group. So she yeah. thought maybe she'd pick up on his fan base and have a big mega hit, but they didn't mm -hmm. get along for somehow. And I don't know hmm. so, well, what happened at that point. So, 
All right. Well, you said a mouthful there, so I probably <laughs> just got to ask you different people uh, and different things. So uh, let's start off with like Ray Manzarek. You know, how what was he like to work with and what was he like as a person? I mean, obviously, he's not around anymore and most people just know him from the doors. So, mm -hmm. I mean, at this point, it, it, you know, what was he like in the time you were working with him? Well, he, he died of bile duct cancer. He picked mm -hmm. me up at the airport on October of 1975. And I think Ray just loved Hollywood. He loved to show people around and uh, he was a very generous man. And he picked me up on an old Citroen, Citroen, a French car. Yeah. And, you know, here's me. I'm coming off my little Detroit gig. I, I've been to Vegas once, been to Florida a couple of times. And that was about it. And here is, ooh, Los Angeles, just like I pictured it, you know. Here we go. <laughs> mm -hmm. Down the down the uh, Hollywood Boulevard, here's shows there's Grauman's Chinese Theater. He took me on. Here's a look of uh, this is where George Harrison wrote the song. There's a fog upon oh yeah, Blue Jay Way. <laughs> ever been to Blue Jay Way? I've been past it. I you know I've been in that you, low. Come down here. Let me can. okay. Let me take you up there. Okay, it, it, all it, right. It's spectacle, you know. It's it, you go down there on the Fourth of July night. All the fireworks are going over the entire city. You can see it all. And, it, and he just loved showing showing that. And I didn't know if I was going to get the gig. I thought I was going to have to play. But I think Paul Warren had already talked him into it. Paul Warren usually got whatever he wanted. So mm. uh, so uh, and Iggy Pop was living in our house. <laughs> so his name also happens. He's a Detroit guy, too. His name is Jim. Really, yeah, yeah. So. So we all moved into this house in Laurel Canyon, 8632 Wonderland Avenue. It has a ring to it. I even wrote a song called that one time. <laughs> so, uh, so Ray put us in there, and Danny Sugarman had, the, of course, the best room because he was managing the band. You know, Danny Sugarman? No one yeah, gets, that's, no one that's gets out alive, the writer. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it sounds familiar. And then he passed cool. away, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was pretty much a drugging party fest up there. And I wasn't a big druggie. I, I had a 10 speed. I, I was going to be, I wanted to be the best drummer ever. I wanted to be physically fit. I ride my bike before I take my pickup truck somewhere. And I was really into uh, good food and, uh, you know, yogurt and granola and all <laughs> You know, the avocados and Dr. Bronner's chips. Oh, yeah. So <laughs> true Californian, you know, and you're not even from here. <laughs> I'm trying that stuff. I'm, I'm trying that life. You know? <laughs> and so, uh, uh, Jim, there was the phone kept ringing for Jim. It was all these chicks. <laughs> They're going, Is Jim here? Jim there? And they just hand the phone to me. He says, This is Jimmy. He says, Oh, Jim, can we come over? It's like really nice little Beverly Hills chicks. There. And, and so I inherited all of, Iggy's girls because of my name was Jim <laughs> and they all came home that's how I met my first uh dates and of course people I met you know in California that but the problem is I had to sleep in the breakfast nook because I was the last guy in well. <laughs> and I'd, I'd put a curtain over between the door so I have a little privacy but then I had all this health food in the refrigerator because from the Canyon Country Store the band started eating all my food because they spent all their money on wheat and oh, yeah. a little bit of powder too. So I'm, I'm going, this isn't working for me. So I, I moved down a couple blocks down at 22, 22 Laurel Canyon. And I found a great little place that Dallas, uh, Dallas from Crosby, Stills and Nash, the drummer, yeah. the drummer mm -hmm. of Crosby, Stills and Nash. He had been there before me and uh, Dallas Taylor. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, all his cases were still in the garage. I think he had a drug problem, in, but anyways, he had to leave. <laughs> he had to leave, and uh, I got this beautiful little downstairs place for one hundred and fifteen dollars a month. I thought, okay, right. <laughs> and, and the salary that Ray was paying us was to keep us out of trouble because. Uh, <laughs> You know, they, he didn't want to give too much money because he knew you. He knew that guys would spend it on stuff. Yes. Stuff. <laughs> so, so I don't know when he thought we would be able to make some money as a band. I was looking forward to uh, doing that. We signed the contract when the record company came. We all signed on it. <laughs> I only got a few writers' credits because I was the drummer, and all those guys were writing songs together before I got in. I replaced in that band. Um, Steve Miller, he went with Steve Miller. Uh, oh, God. I don't know who's in Steve Miller's band off the top of my head. Yeah, well, so the, drummer, the drummer that he's on, one, he's only on one cut of the, the album because he recorded it before I got there. And then I recorded the rest of the album. Mm -hmm. And uh, and he, uh, Gary Malabar. Oh. Well. Have you heard the name? <laughs> he's also the producer of Steve Miller on many albums. And anyways, Gary didn't want to stick with Ray. He he was feeling to go to San Francisco and get involved with uh, Steve Miller. So that's how that went. And, uh, and you know, then th that lasted for two or three years before I joined the Floyd and Eddie band at 77. Did you stay in touch with Ray and stuff like that uh, yeah. later on and stuff? Yeah, like he that? played at my 50th birthday party. We stayed in touch. Ray was, uh, Ray, <clears throat> excuse me. Ray knew I had a recording studio and he always wanted me to remix the Night City album, but we could never find the tapes. We searched high and low. He was always after me to find the tapes. And uh, I, I, I failed at that. And then I finally got a hold of the producer uh, who produced his one of his big thing was the song Chevy Van and I Am Woman by Helen Reddy. He was he ended up producing the Night City album. Jay Center was his name. Mm. He's now a tennis player in Florida. Mm -hmm. And I called him up. He's a very nice guy. I didn't get to know him much when we were doing it. I was all into my own little world, you know. Mm -hmm. And then we became actually better acquainted later in life. And, mm -hmm. uh, and he finally told me that he believes that the Night City tapes were burned in the MCA fire a few years ago. Have you heard about this fire? Yeah, yes. <laughs> okay. And I bet a lot of people's masters are gone because yeah. of this fire. there's a big long list on like a Wikipedia page that lists all yeah. the artists that I go. Uh. <laughs> and only a few, you know, certain artists that like had total control of their own destinies, as it were. It's usually the really big artists, you know, escaped yeah. out of it because they bought their own masters and stuff and put them in some other vault prior to the fire. So, so we ran through my drumming career pretty much. I then it, it, by '86, I I wanted to uh, I wanted to be uh, uh, out of drumming. You know, I was 36 years old and not out of drumming. I just didn't want it to be my entire thing. And there, it was a young man's game and uh, drumming. You know, and so I I I had a chunk of money from the. Uh, village people days because when we went to new york we we got a 
I negotiated that salary from that guy and I came home with a chunk of change. And at that time they had this thing called the money market account. And I was getting 19% on my money (laughs) and it was growing and growing. So I found myself a little house in Hollywood, a two bedroom California bungalow. I ended up painting the, painting the roof blue. It had a little guest house. I rented out both the, the house and the guest house and still stayed in my duplex up the street because the rent was only 275 there and it made the payments for a couple of years. Then I finally moved in the house and started a studio in 86. So, and, and I out in the guest house. So I, I called it Cazador, Cazador yeah, in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, snap your fingers. I produced 5,000 songs since 1986 and I have them all on one hard drive to prove it. And, and then more, you know, when you get to be retired age, I'm 71 now. So it's 65. I started writing more songs and singing my own songs and that. So I've done over a hundred songs in retirement and my catalog, you know, so I'm trying to find music supervisors to possibly take a few of my songs and put them on TV or movies. And no one wants to see some old fart come out and sing his songs, but they might like what I've done on recording. So I'm hoping that's cool. That's my, and I think the songs are good. See for yourself, <laughs> jimbojams.com, J-I-M-B-O-J-A-M-Z.com. Mm-hmm. And that's where my catalog is. And my ro- most recent is 10 songs that I sing in Spanish. <laughs> I have a, a beautiful Araminia Molina is my vocal coach. She's sitting over here. Hello. <laughs> si, senorita. <laughs> and, uh, and and they've come out really good so if you want to hit the latin page sometime you'll see for yourself i, I really enjoyed this year and to, to have done 10 songs since the first of the year is an amazing amount and i've done a couple other songs plus that this year did 30 songs last year so i've, I've really surfaced as a songwriter singer artist recording mm-hmm. artist producer guy that has his own studio that's pretty much how i'm doing my late my grazing years <laughs> Now, uh, you you stuck with the drums all during that time. Did you ever did you continue to stick with the tuba or did you no, uh, no. Ju- dump all the other instruments? I only played my tuba at my 25 year class reunion and I sucked. <laughs> I had no embouchure, but we still did, uh, you know, we still did the America Beautiful uh, Carmen Dragon arrangement and I barely got through it. Wow. And then on your current uh, uh, life as a recording artist and things like that, do you play the drums on that or you just kind of. I play everything but guitar and saxophone on that. Very cool. Okay. I I often bring in guitar players. Uh, Since COVID, I haven't had a whole lot of people over, but that Mm -hmm. should be changing. And, and, uh, you know, I got a full about 30 country rock songs, some R&B, what I call Blue Eyed Soul, Mm -hmm. BESM, Blue Eyed Soul Man. Some spiritual songs and uh, the Latin songs and then uh, blues rock. I do all those genres equally uh, interested. I'm interested in all of them. Very cool. Uh, and I like to I like to dabble in all of them and, mm-hmm. and, be, and be true to all of them. Mm-hmm. And according to her, I have an Argentine accent. <laughs> I don't sound like I'm from Mexico. Maybe a little Cuban, maybe a little is it Argentine. South American. South American, she says. Well, Argentina is in South America, so yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'm uh, going to uh, ask a couple more things on Flo and Eddie. So you did the tour, you said, in that one year of 77. Did you basically go all over the place? Were you stuck in a certain spot, say, like well, Vegas? We flew, or... out, we flew out there and then took the bus to a different places. Uh, 
the, the I I said the the gigs I do remember really hard were the really successful night at the bottom line, and there was my father's place on 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 uh, on Long Island, which was a big concert bar. Billy Joel's played there, and everybody's played there. It's a my father's place, and then um, down to Morristown. I remember those three gigs. I remember uh, on the West Coast, the Golden Bear was a fantastic gig, and. Uh, and also, we did a thing at the Shrine Auditorium with uh, John Sebastian and Tiny Tim. Wow. <laughs> it was like an, I think that's right before those guys started doing that oldies shows for a while. That's yeah. where they, that gig right there spawned that tendency of them getting together with uh, uh, Love and Spoonful and that kind of thing. Right. That, that was the gig that did that. And I left the band shortly after that. So, okay. Now, when uh, you were doing the act, was it mainly Turtle songs or mainly Flo and Eddie or a little of everything? They did the front, some of the Zappa stuff and all Zappa the hits. Too. Eleanor, so happy together. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, you could probably call the titles off. So, yeah, we did that yeah, one too. Yeah, you baby, it ate me, babe. Uh, uh -huh, uh -huh. You showed yeah. me... Uh, <laughs> And I, and I tried to stay true to the record, but still bring a little of my own zeal and enthusiasm into it. And they appreciated me. Uh, I can remember the, them introducing me, the Golden Bear. Uh, I, put, I took my 10-speed down in my uh, pickup truck because I wanted to ride down on the beach down on that 10-speed. And they go, and our drummer, the Metamucil King, Jimmy <laughs> That was their nickname for me that week. I went, oh, Lord. <laughs> But uh, I love those guys. I, I I loved them before I knew them. Mm -hmm. Loved them after I met them. My dad loved them. My dad mm -hmm. talked about them before he died a lot. You know, mm -hmm. just by that was a part of his California experience when he came out to visit me. Mm -hmm. So uh, those are some golden years, some golden days and diamond nights. Mm -hmm. Now, did you do the typical comedy shtick between songs and things yeah, like that? Yeah, okay. and I'm I'm pretty I'm a good show drummer, so I could throwing all the razzmatazz and the sound effects okay. and stuff like that and all the kicks and booms and i, I always ask people this you know it's because like circus drumming man right it's right the circus i was asked they, they, they always jump around they always say you know it's like oh you what do you think this is uh uh, uh you know uh you know, uh, I don't know, something a Bruce Springsteen concert, and then they jump into, by jump him. into you know, and, and uh, turn the page by Bob Seeger, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's like, were you able to just kind of shift at the drop of a dime? You know, easy, man. Yeah, okay, I'm a, okay, I'm a dude, man. Yeah. <laughs> Because, okay. you know, I always ask people that because, you know, when we interviewed Andy Kahn, you know, say, so, yeah, I had to be ready. You know, it's like if they introduced me as the monkeys, I had to do a little daydream believer and, you know, the, you know, stuff He's like that. He's awesome at that stuff. He's yeah. really good. Yeah. So, you know, as a drummer, I guess, you know, if you have to just kind of shift tempos or shift how you're playing immediately, you know, just go with the flow. And yeah, I yeah. think they respected me knowing that I was a quick study and, and I'm a heads up kind of guy, you know. My symbols, I used to set them up here and hang them from the top so I could see everything going around. There wasn't any music stands getting in my way. I could see complete circumference, you know. That's cool. It was really the way I like to do it. Be heads up, a lot of eye contact, a lot, a lot of good interplay, and plenty of feeling and mojo, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, hit a, I hit them hard. And if we didn't get a good sound check, we're still going to sound good because I'm going to hit them hard and we're going to be tight. <laughs> 
And then you, you kind of mentioned it, but how did you part ways? It just, you, you ran, you got the other gigs and everything like that. Yeah. yeah it just didn't, didn't seem like there was much happening after that tiny Tim gig. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure, you know, really, uh, it just sort of just kind of felt dissolved. And by the time uh, it, it was going on, they, like you said, they got that East coast, West coast thing going on. And right. I think they, they, I think like if I bet you Howard was already not, not wanting to be in the bus, he probably had a chance to have a band over <laughs> here. They can bust them down on this side. We can fly and, right. and bust the band. So it, it worked out yeah. better. And a lot of artists do that, you know? Right. And then they started the happy together tours, which was all totally packaged with a, you know, a, a central band that played for everybody. That's, that's yeah. the story we've uh, I think heard that, over that, and over. Yeah. I think they were starting to sniff that coming. Like I say, with John Sebastian and tiny Tim being there mm-hmm. on that gig at the shrine auditorium down mm-hmm. on Wilshire Boulevard. That was, that was uh, a good no, memory. No, apart from working with them, have you stayed friendly with Mark or Howard or have you not seen him in years or uh, the last I've talked, I've talked to Howard on the phone uh but i've but before that i saw mark because he has a daughter that sings and he knew i had a little studio so he's brought his daughter over to sing at my studio oh, that's cool <laughs> so we did a few recordings i don't know if they were karaoke's or what but uh i have them here somewhere after i'd have to dig those up and they're deep in my archives it's just, it's probably in the 90s Mm, okay but then a couple years ago i talked to howard and and, uh, mostly i think i sought him out because i was concerned about his health and i wanted to talk to him right so i got a hold of him and and he was kind of complaining about it now so when i'm hearing from you makes me feel uplifted yeah and And i think i said before we went on the air so i'll just say some friends of mine including charles who introduced me to you charles rosnay and uh, plastic ep they did an interview with howard about uh a week or so ago at the time of this recording and howard just basically said yeah he's in good spirits he sounded great it was about a 40 minute interview um he just said he got tired of doing the tour he said you know that uh the tour bus to him was like a a rolling outhouse (laughs) that was his words so uh he said he didn't mind being on stage he loved the performance he just didn't like getting there and the other thing he said was uh yeah i just turned 70 and somebody had handed me a cupcake you know now he's 73 so it's a few years ago he handed him a cupcake with a seven and a zero on it and he says i'm too old to be doing this <laughs> that's his opinion i mean it's like you know mccartney's still doing it and he's almost 80 so you know it's like yeah. but you know you, you can't fault him for you know wanting to have a few years to himself you know so it's, yeah. it's a it's a funny situation because they might not have the the big enough gigs to where they could get flown and get in get into the first class room you know any right. kind of a budget situation's got to be fatiguing on an old part like me or him you know yeah. uh i was thinking while you were talking that ray and the turtles had the same accountant as mm. a memory. you spawned a memory uh <laughs> Bernstein Fox in Century City on Avenue of the Stars. So I used to go pick up my little puny paycheck from Ray uh, every week when I first got here. And then uh, I guess I had to go p- get paid f- for Flo and Eddie from that same place. And the secretary, her name was Maggie, I became my girlfriend. And then it didn't last that long. And then it did, wasn't long that I found out Howard's going with Maggie now. <laughs> so we, have, <laughs> we have an old girlfriend in common. 
Wow. Found out over the years. <laughs> so that was, that was, she was a great, great lady. So I was glad that uh, he ended up with somebody nice. I know is, I think he's married now to somebody, but I don't know. Yeah. He's been married a number of times. I don't remember. It's all in his book. He did an autobiography. He moved to Missouri, I think. Well, he's, he lived well, with a lady in Missouri I, that I, he had met in Missouri. Yeah, but Howard's been all over the place. I think currently he's in Washington, but I could be wrong on that. So Seattle area. Mark or Howard? Howard. Yeah, I think Mark Mark is, you're right, Missouri. But I think uh, Howard's in Seattle now, Washington. I thought Howard was in Palm Springs. Yeah, well, I could be wrong on that because I didn't, uh, they didn't say in the interview. So maybe he's moved again. I don't I don't know. Anyway, they could, he could be in multiple places for all I know. You know, it's like, I don't know how, because I mean, I will say that Howard uh, did say that he's doing comfortably because obviously he owns the turtles recording. So he makes a little bread from that. So uh. it was a great experience, a wonderful opportunity and a blessing. And, and who would ever thought that, you know, they were, they were one of my, my favorite people because I was a huge Frank Zappa fan. Mm-hmm. So the idea that that just fell in my lap was like oh there is a god did did you ever see him like we interviewed greg hawks uh of the cars who also was in flow and eddie's band for a time uh he actually saw flow and eddie the first time going to a zappa concert so did you ever see flow and eddie pre uh (laughs) playing with them i saw him with zappa at cobo hall all right I (laughs) i also toured with greg when I was with Nick Gilder, we okay. were the warm-up band on the Candy O tour. Oh, okay, so, so it's all I, I know, intertwined. I know all those guys. Yeah, <laughs> David Robinson. Well, another intertwining. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the Turtles documentary that was made in the '90s. Uh, interviewed everyone, but they actually interviewed Ray Manzarek on that one. And uh-huh. he was, if you ever catch it, it's on YouTube, so you can see it, or it's on Rhino Home Video. But um, they interviewed Ray, and he was saying, "Yeah, we." You know, the turtles would come out with matching suits and us, meaning future doors, we were Rick and the Ravens. We came out with matching suits, too, you know, (laughs) and, you know, so they all got their start in all these little uh, small L.A. clubs and everything. Sunset Boulevard was flourishing during the summer of love. So they all knew each other, you know, just like you seem to know everyone, too. Ray, I'll tell you about Ray, man. Okay. there's a little piece of Ray that loved keeping the idea that Jim just might be alive. He never would have <laughs> <That lived. I> <laughs> Yeah, he never would say, no, I, you know, you never know, Jim. You That's never so know what Jim's capable of. He 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 he's a man of mystery. <laughs> so yep. I, I saw so many. I, I've seen him say that in interviews. So yeah, yeah. he's I could I could see that, yeah. <laughs> Kind of, kind of gets a twinkle in his eye, and it gets him a little turned on to right. to think that maybe he could get you to think that maybe there's a chance. Yeah, that one of the greatest rock stars of all time <laughs> hiding somewhere, just being anonymous, waiting for that one moment, <laughs> sipping wine in France. A <laughs> um, couple other things. So you mentioned Nick Gilder. A couple times so what was he what's he like uh i agree you know what he's i think he's a lot better singer than people uh realize that cat can sing like robert plant he's got a higher range than robert plant he's got <laughs> plenty loud when he wants it uh i played on two albums for them by the way uh body talk music and rock america if you ever get a chance to uh 
hear rock America. I really let my Keith moon out on that one. That that's okay. really, I'm really rocking out good on that. I, I'm, it's probably me and my peak of my, my recording prowess and you know, I'm slamming them good. I got a big old set of slingerlands with mega toms, you know, and my first <laughs> endorsement kit and I'm feeling pretty good on the top of the world. Uh, you know, after flowing Eddie, I, I had a nice surge of with, by being able to play those tours with the cars and, and, and uh, Nick, and we used to recur rehearse in his garage out in the Valley and uh, party with the family and good, good guy. I still am his friend on Facebook. I follow his gig. He's still gigging up there in mm -hmm. Vancouver and uh, his, his, his parents are English mm. and they went to Canada, I think. And he ended up down there, had that hit. Did you know that he wrote, I am the warrior for, with Patty Smythe? You know, no, like, I am the one. I know the song. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm sure he wrote other songs than he Hot Child. Than one hit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an unknown thing. People don't know that he wrote that hit. Too. Mm. And he's a good, a good songwriter and a serious songwriter. And I don't know what became of Jim McCullough, who was not the Paul McCartney Jim McCullough. Okay, I was saying Nick Gillard <laughs> Jim McCullough uh, mm. is up up there in. Uh, in Vancouver somewhere too. I, I never heard from him after he left town. So, mm. but I, I had good relationships with these guys and, uh, uh, that other, that bass player's name is Eric. He just passed away a couple of years mm. ago and the keyboard player lives in Texas. Uh, and, uh, we stay in touch a little bit. So I'm in touch with these guys. I'm in touch with, I'm pretty close to many of my bandmates, you know, they're, there's not a not too many of us that don't speak to each other for one reason or another. <laughs> that, that shit happens. And sometimes it comes around that we we start getting a heart for our, our good old days. Say, hey man, let's let this stuff go, you know. Right, right. Yeah, I didn't speak right. to Paul Warren for a year, but now we talk to every day on Facebook. So yeah. I'm sending him stuff, he's sending me stuff. Yeah. Well, it's but, not good uh, to keep grudges. I know people do, or they just say, I don't want to have anything to do with them or whatever, you know, it's like, well, my number one salute is to Paul Warren because yeah. he's the one that brought me out here. And he's mm -hmm. probably to me, one of the greatest rock guitar players alive. And, mm -hmm. and he rivals uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Eric Clapton, any of the great blues men. And he's really, really, really got the blues. <laughs> you want to hear a guy that's really got the blues? Listen to him play. Doesn't do a play a solo. He can do it in one take. You don't need a second take with Paul Warren. Mm -hmm. And he's on much of my albums. If you go to that Jimbo Jam site that I talked about earlier, he's on many of the solos on there. Mm -hmm. uh, just mentioning Cher again. So, do you interact with her ever, or is it just that one time? Just, and uh, then, never, of course, never. the royalties. <laughs> a lovely lady. Yeah. You know, lovely lady. I enjoyed her, her, her rehearsing. She was sweet as pie, no ego trip mm -hmm. and easy to rehearse with, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And I, then I noticed on your website and you haven't talked about this yet. Um, okay. You had a couple of TV appearances <laughs> in your career oh, as yeah. an actor of sorts. <laughs> so I see I, Love I Boat, have... a Memorex commercial, an Operation Pegacoat, and an Escape from Alcatraz. It's a movie, though. Yeah. Uh, I'm the talk drummer. About, talk about those. <laughs> I'm the drummer in Escape from Alcatraz with uh, Clint Eastwood, and it was a cool thing, but I had to get my long hair cut off for that one, and they put you in the blue jeans and the Mm -hmm. uh, you know the the work shirts for the to have a prison outfit. Now, now what's so, the scene you're in? I mean, I've seen that movie a zillion times. Right, so. I'm I'm in the scene. Yeah, don't blink. 
I'm, uh, I'm, I'm in a stage where I'm carrying an accordion case, which could be maybe a drum case. But they gave me a case to carry mm-hmm. as they're shuffling us all in from one place to another in the prison. Yeah. And in the case is the electric fan that Clint Eastwood makes the drill out of. The oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They start putting the paper mache up to get, as they were doing so. I'm the one that carried the tool in there. And, and there's a scene of when we're playing, I got the D-block blues, you know, and something okay. like that, you know, like a, a little prison band. So we had a whole bunch of musicians. And the other shows was uh, Love Boat with Bob yeah. Cummings and Shelley Fabre. Uh-huh. And uh, Operation Petticoat uh, with Vern, you know, the guy that plays Vern. Right. He was on that with the pink submarine. And oh, and then I'm also the drummer on the Memorex commercial where the right. wind blows. Uh, oh, no, that's not when the wind blows the hey guy's hair back. It's when the guy hits the high note and breaks the glass. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'm in that commercial. There's a few different ones. I remember, and, that, you and know. A, a yeah. bit of, a bit of uh, uh, trivia on that. The singer of that, the singer on that commercial was the eye of the tiger guy oh <laughs> survivor yeah yeah they they chose him to be the singer so they auditioned i got it i took it you know wow and it's got real residuals for years and years too mm-hmm. it's pretty good little jobs those little things so those the the love boat and the operation petticoat was those what did you do there again uh, you, you i played see, drums on camera on camera okay yeah. so you didn't uh, have any speaking lines you're just in the really, no. that's weird <laughs> the good one i have and i still get residuals for that is that i played the bong beatnik bongo player in a uh, heartbeat the jack kerouac movie yeah see spacek and nick nolte yeah i'm back there in the coffee house do, 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 be cool <laughs> Do you know what season of Love Boat it is? Because I have some on DVD. So it's uh, like look up Shelly Fabre and Okay, I'll Bob have to write that down. <laughs> I think I have that episode, yeah, because I think the first four seasons have come out on uh DVD and so I was a handsome devil. <laughs> okay. okay, I gotta look this up. This is great. <laughs> Bob Cummings. Okay. And I'm in a tuxedo in that one. I don't know where i would see operation petticoat again i watched it when it was originally on with uh john astin you know the oh. tv show yeah but mm-hmm. i was a kid <laughs> so, that's the one with that guy Vern that plays Vern. yeah yeah and i don't even remember him on that show you know when you said that i go he was on that show wow i'd like to see it again but yeah uh, i think it was only like for a season and a half or something but i watched because i like the adams family and i love john astin still do and uh, <laughs> you know, so that's why i was like hmm what do you do on there anyway? So behind right. me is the actual bass drum head from 1977. I took a picture of it, put it on behind my screen mm-hmm. for you today. That's, That's really cool. And you say you know the artist. I don't know. Who I, I know the artist is listed on because I think it's on their Moving Targets album. It's also that same image is printed on the inner sleeve of the LP. So if you pull out the LP, there it is on the paper inner sleeve. So um, and I pretty sure that they gave uh, an artist credit but i can't remember who it is off the top of my head so i'll probably have to email you after we're off the show um everybody else who owns the album just look it up it's probably in the office <laughs> um uh let's see what else can i ask uh, you a question sure of course how did you uh get so fixed on mark and howard or, or is are you doing these kinds of things for other groups too well um i'm a big fan of just like rock and roll 60s to 80s music anyway um over the years uh besides becoming a huge beatles fan you know i get you know rolling stones kinks everybody else and everything and 
I, I became a Turtles fan basically and uh because I, I was looking in like a little bin and i knew the song happy together and there was like a bin that had little cassette tapes for like a buck or something it, you know one of those old record stores like music land or whatever and so i bought it i said well, you know 20 20 hits you know a buck that sounds pretty good even if it's trash at least i can hear happy together because <laughs> i knew that song i didn't know any of the other songs by name you know so um I played it and I go, hey, this is pretty good. And then I found out like Rhino Records was like reissuing all the various albums and stuff like that. So I started snapping them up as they put them out. And I go, these guys are good. <laughs> Why weren't they successful? And I didn't put two and great career, man. I didn't put two and two together until later. I actually knew of Flo and Eddie before I knew of the Turtles. Um, because I heard they smoked a joint in the White House with <laughs> Trisha Nixon. <laughs> that's where you. That's where you first heard. Of it. Yeah, no, I, uh, you know the comedian Martin Mull. Yeah, yeah, they had he had a TV special and that's on YouTube too, uh, where he had Flo and Eddie as a special guest. So I knew of Flo and Eddie, and I knew of the Turtles, but I didn't, you know, know that they were the same guys. Mm -hmm. Now why i'm doing a book now as turtles um i have written a beatles book i've written books about comic books and animation other stuff that's what i do um but uh i wrote two books on the monkeys with another author and charles rosene and i became pals from another podcast the same podcast that had howard on it plastic ep um and Charles and I started talking about just, he's a huge Beatles fan and everything else too. And we we're just talking back and forth. He goes, it, he just asked me, if the Beatles or the monkeys didn't exist, who would you like the best? And I just uh -huh. blurted out the turtles. And he goes, oh my God, I love the turtles too. You know? And so we just started talking back and forth. I said, yeah, turtles totally underrated. They should be in the rock and roll hall of fame, blah, 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 blah. You know, and then we just kind of talked about doing a book. And I said, yeah, I could do a book, you know, and it originally was just going to be our opinions of the various songs. And then we got a couple of interviews like yourself, um, you know, and then slowly over time, we started getting the actual turtles and we actually got Howard. Like I said, I didn't personally, but Charles did. Um, we got Jim Barbada, who was uh, Johnny Barbada, excuse me, uh -huh. who was the drummer during their yeah. peak years uh -huh. and uh who else do we interview chip douglas did you get uh, mash bear no did not do oh, him, gotta get him okay I I well i mean you can send me people we could still put people in there's no deadline on this thing so and of course we got andy khan we got greg hawks uh and uh, andy, andy is a plethora of information yes yes uh <laughs> and uh Let's see, who else do we have? Oh, uh, Jerry Yester, who produced the final recordings. He was in the Love, Love and Spoonful, and he produced their final album that was never released officially. I mean, the songs have gradually come out later, but originally. I suppose uh, Bones, Bones Howe is not alive. I don't know. I don't think he is. No, no. no. no he's, um, he's real, uh, so happy together. And... Did he write that song, too? I think he. I can't remember who wrote No, uh, the two writers there passed, too. Um, I can't think of their names off the top of my head. They did a bunch of turtle sits. They also wrote She'd Rather Be With Me and a couple other. Bonner and Gordon. Al Bonner and Bonner and Gordon are their names. Um, mm -hmm. uh, it's yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they always tell the story. If you ever see that Turtles documentary is that uh, they say, 
that happy together demo was the worst demo ever and it was passed around everybody turned this thing down because it was just guy slapping his knees it wasn't with a real drummer he was just like i can't just like that and that's how the demo was and uh everybody passed on it but for some reason the turtles and chip douglas heard something in there that they said hmm, we can work on this and actually make it into something and they did <laughs> you know so yeah, that's sure did. The, you know and um they test drove it on tour for a while just to work out the kinks which is probably the best way to do a song if you think it's going to be a hit you know mm -hmm. fine tune it so that the audience well it's ready made for when it comes out on a record yeah. you know? and, and if you're if not you using do it. studio musicians it's good to get the band tightened up too so it's a piece of cake they walk in the studio yeah. a lot of money yeah and that's exactly what happens so um but i mean that's where we're at so i'm working on a turtles book i work on other things working on a mad magazine book so i'm working on a lot of stuff doing right. these podcasts i i have no life uh, anyway. So. It's a pleasure to meet you. It's been it was a great experience working for Mark and Howard. If they if they ever see this, I want to thank you. Let me give you a big hug and say thank you to them. You know, right. for uh, accelerating my career and and giving me support and a chance to play with uh, people that I already thought were legends before I knew them. So that was really good. Mm -hmm. My all time favorite band though is Edgar Winters White Trash. <laughs> That's my number one. Those are my boys right there. That that music gets me all going on. So have, have cool. you got have you gotten turned on to them before? I, I've I've seen Edgar Winter in concert before, so I know oh. him, you know, but not necessarily you know about the rest that. of his career. Check out White Trash with him and Jerry yeah. LaCroix singing in tandem. Oh, and that drummer, Bobby Ramirez. Hmm. Okay. He, he just lit New up stuff to check out. Well. All right. <laughs> All right, this is the time of the show. I don't want to wrap it up yet without giving you a chance. Um, I always tell people, uh, tell me uh, if you're writing a book, if you are going on tour, if your studio is open, how do people get in contact with you? Uh, you can plug anything you want. Okay. Go ahead. I kind of already did that pretty much. Jimbo, Jimbo Jams is my is my songwriter site and all those music supervisors definitely hook up that there's great, some great material there. J I M B O J A M Z.com and Jimmy Hunter.com is my studio site. Am I open for business? I advertise in the music connection business uh, still every month. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, but I take us take on select clients and mostly ones that I produce, not just open to the public so much, but depending on the project, if you call me, call me up and I, uh, get together with you and we'll see if we can work something out. You know, uh, I have a nice facility that a lot of people dig the vibe. Not fancy. It's not bare. In some ways, it doesn't look like a studio. In some ways, it does. I got a really good <laughs> Norman mic and a set of drums and a fantastic fat set of Pro Tools, and I know how to use it. I'm a good editor. And, uh, you know, if you, if you don't sing that great, I can probably help you sing better because I'm a good vocal coach. Very good. You know, All so. right. And then... Uh, that's that's a pretty much what I'm focusing on. And I also produce an artist called Todd Stanford, and he has albums, S-T-A-N-F-O-R-D, redoing our fourth country CD. So I produced and I play in his live band still. We just did the Chatsworth uh, uh, Street Fair last week. And uh, that that's pretty much the only live drumming I'm doing right now. We've got a really nice band put together for him, and mm -hmm. I'm trying to help him 
do his thing and that's that's pretty much what i got going looking forward i swim every day i love to do that yeah love the barbecue love walks on the beach <laughs> wait a minute it's not a dating site here this is a I podcast <laughs> anyway <laughs> all right Jimmy. is about to slap me over here <laughs> All right. Uh, well, it was a pleasure speaking with you, Jimmy, today on the Fun Ideas podcast. And um, we're a little bit ahead as far as when this will go out. So it'll probably air sometime in the middle of May, but I'll send you links and all that good stuff. Fantastic. All right. We'll talk Mark, to you soon. Great to meet you, man. All right. Thank you very much. Be blessed. You know the rest. Thank you for listening. And thank you, Jimmy Hunter, for being my special guest. Remember, you can always watch the video version of this episode on YouTube. Episode number 164 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2022. Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night.